Hello, and welcome to the Retailistic Podcast. We are very honored to have John Harmon, Horsites Retail Technology Expert, here with us today to talk about all things retail, retail tech, and really the future of retail as well. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Deborah. It's a pleasure to be here again. So where are you spending your time these days, not geographically, but what types of research have you been writing and, and what do you think is, you know, kind of au courant at the moment? I've been fortunate. I'm, I've been working on two areas that I think are really relevant. Um, supply chain, which continues to be a challenge for retailers, and AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Where are you seeing the most interesting applications of AI right now, especially as we think about holiday 21? AI, well, one of the, the areas in which AI really excels is predictions. Um, clearly, retailers need to take account of all the data and information they have from last holiday and holidays before and everything they have up to date and come up with their predictions for their plans for this holiday, how much they're going to buy, where they're going to put it, and, and what they're going to stock in their stores. Do you think that they're over-relying on what AI is telling them in terms of how the consumer is going to behave or or where they might transact? Or do you think that there is still a significant amount of opportunity for, you know, kind of AI-driven retail? Um, I think the answer is probably not. Um, you know, most machine learning models extrapolate past data to come up with a prediction for the future. And as we know, last year was a totally different year there And so far, this year is a completely different year. So I think retailers are going to need a combination of whatever help they can get from their technology, plus the benef- their gut feelings and experience in, in doing, running retail stores. And as they, you know, kind of think about, you know, AI, how do you look at that differently between, you know, let's call it essential and non-essential retailers? I think it's, it's more useful for essential retailers, really, because they're, they're still in a really great position. And essential retailers, um, frankly, that's mostly grocery, right? And grocery has a large number of SKUs. Um, they've seen huge swings in demand. Um, I mean, I, those are the areas that really need the most that can benefit the most from AI technology. I mean, it's interesting. We had done some work, John, and if you look at the fact that about 40% of product that's grown, produced, never even makes it in saleable form to the grocery shelf, if you were able to cut out half of that by 2030, you could literally end world hunger. I mean, those are some pretty insane numbers. And if we look at what's happening right now in China with, you know, kind of AI and crop you know, if you will, crop production and, you know, thinking about, right, the perfect environment, right, have the greatest yield. You know, you're literally getting crop yields like 90% plus. And, you know, and we've seen a lot of this done in Israel as well, more around kind of like agribusiness than anything. But I, I personally find it to be just because of, you know, the kind of uh, food insecurity right now on a global basis. And I think they the most recent data I saw, 50 million people in the U.S. are food insecure. It seems to me the biggest problem we need to solve right now. Agreed. I, I mean, I, I think that's that's an incredible, that would be an incredible gift to m- humankind if we could end world hunger. Um, you know, I think of what your your parents used to tell you when you were a kid to clean your plate because there's starving people around the world. Um, but I think you brought up an interesting topic that that we haven't covered that much because we cover all kinds of other things, though, that... Um, 
the potential benefits of AI and farming. I mean, that's something that, that really hasn't occurred to me. But I think, you know, certainly it's, it's, it's a sin to waste food. And if it goes bad before you even get it on the shelf, then, I mean, that's, that's even worse. Um, you know, we know that grocers do, unfortunately, throw out a lot of food. Um, but anything you can do to reduce waste and spoilage, I think, is, a, is positive for, for everyone. Well, well, the other thing about that, too, is that in this, you know, exponential growth, and we can call it, I think at one point it was up to 10x, where we ended 2019, which was at about 2.6% online penetration, and at the height was 26%, that you are relying on a third party to choose your, let's call it the perimeter of the store, right? So your meat and your dairy and your produce. And, you know, consumers all are, you know, we're all picky. And, you know, maybe you like really ripe bananas and I like green bananas and, you know, kind of somebody else likes, you know, the they're going to make banana bread, so they want the bananas with the brown spots. And, you know, let's say I get the bananas you like, you get the bananas I like, and ultimately we're not going to to consume those. So there, there's just waste because there there isn't this like matching process almost between the consumer and the item that they'll ultimately eat. And then I also have found, in, you know, that this opportunity right now, right? I mean, I've, I've been shocked that from a CPG company perspective, it could even be the retailers who have their own private label, that they haven't almost used this, you know, these predictive capabilities to say, hey, I, and, and actually, I mean, I order from, you know, kind of Fresh Direct and, and Amazon Fresh all the time, put an extra item in, right? What is the retail? $2? And that's how you drive trial. And so if you think about where these vendors are spending their dollars, I, I just feel like there there has to be, I mean, you know, CVS, I remember when I was an analyst, they used to do this through their, their loyalty card, right? They They could like triangulate the data to see what items, and this was, you know, AI was in its, well, from a deep learning perspective, was in its infancy. And you would be working with the, the CPG companies to send out, you know, razors and, you know, kind of other, you know, kind of, you know, new lines of products, whether it was product extensions or, or completely new categories. And they had an incredible success. And, and I just, you know, and most of these retailers have great loyalty programs. Why do you think that is? I think it's just, it's just a lack of, of thinking about it. Um, I mean, there were a couple of things I wanted to mention. I, I think it was a year ago that I sent out in our in our group a photo of a local drugstore here in New York, and I think it was on the Martin Luther King Day holiday. Um, and the shelves were stocked with pre-made food, like sandwiches, and see, and everyone was at home that day. You just you know they're going to have to throw them out. I, they do. I think they mark them down fifty percent off in the evening. But you, but you just know they're going to have to throw all that stuff out. And just a, a very simple application of AI, including the calendar in your demand forecasting. Hey, Martin Luther King Day happens every year. You know exactly when it is. And you really should feed that into the orders from your vendors for food. Um, it reminds me of another thing. I don't know if you know of this app we have in New York City um, called Too Good To Go. And I just read yesterday about something similar in Hong Kong. Um, what Too Good To Go does is they stay in touch with local restaurants and the restaurants are know if they're going to have excess food that they're going to have to throw away and it offers it to consumers. So for a third of the cost, which basically covers the cost of the ingredients, um, you can pick a meal from a restaurant. The catch is you don't know what you're going to get, but you know where you're going to get it from and you know you're going to save money. So it's good for consumers that are willing to take a, a chance on something they may or may not like. 
And it's good for restaurants. They get a bit of revenue that covers their costs and they don't have to throw out all this food. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I was on the advisory board and actually ended up investing in this company called Gourmet in Hong Kong. And the idea was that, you know, let's say at, at five o'clock at night for an eight o'clock reservation, you know, Gourmet would look at different restaurants and see where they hadn't yet been able to fill all the reservations. So we would basically buy those up and then we would offer them out to everyone, you know, via uh, WeChat. And what we would do is we would bring together people who'd never met before. And I mean, they were like marriages. They were like amazing, like best friends were found. And it was this idea because, right, the, the table would have, you know, gone to waste, if you will. And so, right, if you think about the rents in Hong Kong, right, there was a expensive table not to be filled. But it, it ended up kind of taking this idea of, of waste in another direction, right? And then if you don't have that table filled, potentially, right, if the restaurateur had planned on it, then they would have excess food waste at the end of the evening or end of the week. And so I I do think that there's some really, and, and that was very simple technology, to be quite honest. Um, but it's really interesting to think about how, you know, I mean, I, I love it with, you know, kind of Alibaba, they call it, you know, in English, fresh hippo. The idea that at, you know, kind of two hours before the the close that day, they'll start to cook up, right? Any of the fresh produce that that won't make it till, the, you know, the next day in a fresh state. And, you know, just, and it's all AI driven, 100%. And so I, I just feel like there's, you know, when it comes to grocery, the the opportunity to to kind of rethink your technological investments. I mean, hey, it's been a interesting 12 months for the the poor grocery sector, right? I mean, they had to spin up Bopus and then, you know, they, they've had to rethink loyalty and their relationships with the CPG companies because, right, you know, if consumers aren't coming into a physical store. The end caps probably don't matter as much as they, they once did and people aren't um, thinking about them in the same way or product placement. And, and now it's like virtual product placement, right? And so I, John, just, you know, I... I still feel this isn't being talked about that much, but this idea of retail media, where your retailers are ultimately platforms for content. And so if I want to learn about the, you know, I love, I mean, I love gluten-free bagels and gluten-free cookies and like anything that that replicates the their, their non-gluten cousins. And so, you know, trying to find out that information, but if I can go to, let's say, you know, Kroger or Walmart, and and I can really learn about new products and new product launches, right? And that's like my destination. And then if they can even do more in terms of curating that for me, it, it just seems, I mean, hey, I, you know, to, to me, it's like, you know, the, this idea of discoverability, but then if the CPG companies are paying the retailers to have that, that product, that virtual, that digital shelf, right? Then, I, I just think that you ultimately see much higher margins for these essential retailers than we ever thought possible. So I don't know. I've, I mean, this is what I do late at night. I, I like reimagine retail and especially grocery, which has seen such change in the past 12 months. What do you think about that idea? And and also, how do you, you know, kind of see the, the future of grocery? There's, I mean, there's huge untapped potential there. I mean, as, as you recall, a couple of years ago, we were talking about grocery stores holding cooking classes in the store to drive traffic, to engage the consumer, to to build a connection with the consumer. And then because of COVID, people aren't doing that anymore. But there are other ways to do the same thing. I mean, you mentioned gluten-free. 
the data is there within the grocer's servers that Ms. Weinswig buys a lot of gluten-free products. There's a huge untapped opportunity to do something with that. Right? Well, I, I, you know, it's interesting you say that, John, because I remember when we moved and, right, you know, you move, you have new habits and, yeah, you want to, like, support the local grocery stores. So I didn't, I didn't buy anything from Fresh Direct for six months. And, and, and it was like, I woke up one day and I'm like, do you know, like, first of all, I hadn't done it. And then they hadn't contacted me. And I'm like, how do they, right? Like, you know, you've got ultimately a family of eight between, you know, the immediate family and then the furry family. And so, you know, it's a lot of, I mean, those were larger orders and we used to buy everything from there. And I was, especially when I was traveling so much, and I'm like, it, it was really surprising to me that they wouldn't look at that data and then even just like reach out with, you know, it's funny. I got a coupon last night from Gilt and it was $25, which is not nothing. And so I went on, I hadn't been on in Gilt in quite some time and I, I bought something and I was like, that's so smart because right they're, st- they're, they're understanding, right. They're using like data and AI to understand purchasing patterns and sometimes, right, and they're probably, hey, for you, John, maybe they'll give you 50 bucks. And, you know, for me, it, it's 25 and for somebody else, it's five bucks. But, you know, that that idea of utilizing, I mean, we have all this intelligence. I'm just, I guess I'm dumbfounded sometimes that that we don't see it. And I don't know if it's that the retailers can't get the the talent, that they're not, you know, that they're afraid to, you know, make these decisions. What do you think it is? Because I feel like, you know, we're getting closer to kind of the, the real truth about the consumer and how the retailer supports them. Well, we see both extremes. I hate to beat up on fresh direct, but I mean, that would be a classic application of prescriptive analytics that you see your purchasing patterns and then an anomaly, a change in it. Right. And there are some retailers who are on top of this um, bordering on annoying, right. You get emails from them every day. Or, or we haven't heard from you for a while, or oh, we saw you looking at this. It's a fifteen percent off coupon. Who? Um, you know, I've been looking at a case for. I bought a new computer from this company in case. You know, they make hard shell cases for Macs, and I looked at one, and then I bought a totally different computer. And there's still a lot of issues here, right? So then, <laughs> in, instead of the Mac Pro, I bought the Mac Air. Um, but on their website, the Mac Air was out of stock. Um, so I'd had a coupon from them, but they wouldn't accept it. Um, but they saw that I was looking at the Mac Pro case, and they sent me a 15% off coupon. Um, but so I had to buy the Mac Air case in a retail store, and I tried to get the discount, but they wouldn't give it to me. <laughs> but they're one. They, I, I get these emails all the time. They see what you look at, and, yeah, you know, we saw you looking at this. You know, have you forgotten us from certain retailers? I guess more in consumer electronics. I mean, my, my biggest gripe is that, right, you know, okay, so maybe once every three or four years, I look for patio furniture. And, you know, if I do that on certain websites like Amazon, then all I get for the next four months is patio furniture. Well, I bought my patio furniture. I don't need to know any more about patio furniture. And oftentimes you're even communicating to me about the exact patio furniture I purchased. So it it is, and, and maybe there is this like creep factor in the US and John, you and I have spent much of our time, you know, in, in other geos where, you know, this, this utilization of data and AI to, to drive, you know, changes in consumption habits and also to some ways make the consumer, you know, more fulfilled, but to, to retarget me for the exact same item that I already purchased just seems 
not like a good use of anyone's time or money. Oh, that's infuriating. I wish there was a button that you could click when you, when you buy the thing that you've been looking at so that it doesn't follow you around forever. Or another button to click saying, I don't want to buy this. Please leave me alone. Um, <laughs> that these, these retailers can send signals me. to the other retailers that have, that have banner ads. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at something and either you, you buy it or you decide not to buy it or you're waiting for a better price. But it is kind of annoying when you bought it and the ads still follow you around. Yeah, no, I think I think it's really quite interesting in terms of how, you know, kind of consumers are well and and, and I think it's it goes back to that subtlety. I mean, if if you know, and, and once again, right, with our um kind of backgrounds in, in China, this this idea that, you know, I I actually want someone to, you know, make my life more simple and I want, you know, when there's new product categories that fit my profile that either, you know, they're, they're adding new items or there's like literally new categories that could, you know, facilitate my life, please tell me and, and please help me, right? Like kind of, you know, with some of these decisions, because right, we all end up with decision fatigue. If I'm like trying to figure out what flavor, you know, oh, there are now gluten-free Oreos, by the way, um, which are quite tasty, but, um, and hopefully there are multiple flavors coming soon, but right. If I'm trying to decide between like the mint ones and the strawberry ones and right, like, you know, theoretically there's an AI out there, which, you know, knows my taste buds and will know which ones I will enjoy the most. Like just make the decision for me already. Right. I mean, it's that to me is, is ultimately what, you know, and then we can go on and, 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 you know, utilize our time in other areas, but I just think that retail has such a huge opportunity to build greater bridges with consumers. And I do feel in the U.S. there's this, this fear over whether it's the creep factor or it's, but it's still, it still feels to me like very disconnected. Absolutely. I mean, I would opt, I would opt in and I do opt in for certain things. There are certain retailers where when you sign up, you give them your preferences for styles you like, colors you like, and so on. Um, there are also many occasions when I, I look for a product and I just, I can't find it there, you know, there, there are opportunities just to store that somewhere. And if it does become available, let me know, or turn it over to similar types of retailers and let them, let them look for it. I think we're, we're, we, we want the internet and retail to be magic, but you know, it's in, in some cases it really is magic and we just want it everywhere. Well, I guess I already assume, right, that the retailers have all my data. So I, I'm not, like, worried about giving it to them because I assume that they have it and that because of that, they are going to, you know, make my life better. And so I guess for me, I'm always surprised when they they don't seem to... So, I mean, I assume they have the data. They may just not be triangulating it. But it's all, you know, it, I, I find it as a consumer, it, it can all get quite frustrating. I mean, certainly based on your purchase history, a retailer can know your size, the types of things you buy, the colors you like, um, whether you respond to discounts or not. And this one big department store that I always pick on, just, yeah, you know, email me when something, a brand I buy in my size and roughly in my color is on sale. Well. You bring up something really interesting. I've thought about this, right? This, you know, kind of more of this idea of these retail, you know, John, we did this big project in 2020 um, for a very large REIT in Southeast Asia and kind of built this idea of the mall as a platform. And so, right, in each individual location, right, was was a platform and was serving the consumer, whether, 
it was through services like a concierge or you know, even just right, you know, serving up coupons and, and, and really developing a strong loyalty program. But I, I think that retailers, right, that, that they can also have that same idea of like, you know, retail as a platform, whether it's, it's retail media, whether it's, you know, there, there's these new products that are in and, and serving them up to you in new ways. And once again, I think, you know, I do think having the, the ability to, to opt in is, you know, probably where all of us are, are comfortable right now. But I just feel like, you know, if you, you look at the percentage of your, you know, you, the consumer that you do with any one individual retailer, it's shockingly low. And so everyone's wallet is up for grabs. And at the same time, you know, I think we're, we're not, you know, back when we spent more time in physical retail or we had like a credit card for our, the retailers we shopped at, right. We would, we would identify, right. I mean, I remember this when I was a sales agent, I was like, you identified, let's say as a Saks customer, or you identified as a Sears customer because you had their credit card, you went into the stores. It was like part of your, you know, kind of what, what you did on a monthly basis. And we've just all, you know, I would say moved away from that. Probably some of it is the the growth of online. But I also just think that as, you know, consumers in some ways, right, there's so many of these D2C brands and just, you know, there's just, like I said, it's like decision fatigue, right? There's so many possible places that you can buy product X that it can be very difficult for you to make that decision. But ultimately, there probably are a few places or a few products that you would have much. And, and actually, this goes back to sustainability. I'm going to interrupt myself. Because if I can find the, you know, the exact right product for me, not only in terms of fit, but in terms of material and, and you know, that it, it, it's consistent with my own personal values, right? I'm probably going to keep that product longer. I'm going to wear it more, I'm going to have less of a carbon footprint, if you will, because I won't be like, you know, kind of, let's just say, you know, um, I'll be utilizing it, you know, to its fullest potential. And, and I just, I, I just feel like there's, we're still, I mean, I guess that's what makes our job so interesting. There's just so much more potential here to, you know, kind of improve every aspect of retail, but ultimately to get the you know, to, to, if you will, we, right. We say this in, 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 uh, economics, right. These like utils of happiness, right. To, to give the customer the most utils of happiness when they purchase something so that they utilize it to its full extent. So I, I don't know. How do you think about that, John? I, I mean, I think you're talking about brand loyalty as promoting sustainability then that a brand can, if they can get you to stay with their brand, you'll keep your things longer. You won't hop around as much there'll probably be lower shipping costs. I mean, that's an interesting idea. When you, when you at the beginning of this latest um, answer, though, I was thinking about how, how landlords need to adopt, a, adopt a brand mentality because a mall is really a brand. And we've talked before about how mall operators could, um, you know, make it like a scavenger hunt, go to the food court and buy a hot dog, go to the store and buy something come on this day and you get a coupon. There's still, there's still a lot of great promotion opportunities and marketing opportunities for the mall as a brand. And certainly there's less carbon use if you're walking around the mall picking up products rather than having them burn hydrocarbons to be brought to your house. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's an excellent point. I mean, it's I mean, hey, I always thought the future retail would be, right, I'd have an autonomous vehicle pick me up, take me, you know, maybe I'd take a nap on my way to, you know, the the outlet mall I wanted to go to. I would, you know, have an itinerary that was planned for me by the 
the venue that I was visiting to, to maximize like my spend and also, you know, kind of drive the ultimate happiness. And then like my autonomous vehicle would take me back home. I, I, I feel like we're, we're maybe, um, much farther away from that than I ever expected. Well, I think there is one opportunity that the electric vehicle can bring, bring you your lunch and consume fewer hydrocarbons than someone firing up an internal combustion engine, you know, just to, just to bring you a sandwich or a burrito. So John, you know, as we, as we wrap up, you know, what, what's on your kind of plate in terms of what you're, you're writing and, and what are you most, you know, I know you read voraciously what, you know, what are you reading these days and, you know, what's been different already in, in 21 versus what you expected? And it's a multi-part question. I think the main topic, again, is this connection between supply chain and AI, just how supply chains can be smarter. Um, you know, it's, it seems like thus far, 2021 is a lot like 2020. But I'm, you know, certainly seeing shoots of optimism coming up. People are feeling differently. And slowly going back to doing the things they did before COVID, testing the waters of going to new restaurants. Um, you know, as, as I'm writing about this week, it, it feels like it's spring in New York City. It's a bit premature. We can still have cold weather in, in April, but certainly I think we're all feeling kind of sp- a bit of spring fever and feeling optimistic and, and looking forward to our purchasing patterns going back to where they were before. And, you know, that's going to have... I- I'm going to interrupt you. I don't think, sure. I, I don't think there's any going back. I, I just don't think, I mean, you know, for any of us, and I know John, both you and I did live through nine 11. I mean, that was like one day. And if you think about how your, your, you know, everything changed as a result, I just, I, I, I know that there's this idea. And I mean, people say it all day long about going back, but I think we go forward, but what forward looks like, I don't, I still don't think we know. And I just, I don't think that, you know, people were were rinsing out their Ziploc bags to save money and to, and and you, you then kind of like run out to buying like Ziploc bags, like en masse at Costco. I just, I just, I I just think that, you know, we've, we've all had time to think about, you know, and we're seeing this in China too, right? The impact on the environment and, and everyone's thinking about that differently. I mean, these things have to change how people, how people consume. I just, you know, and there's been this, I mean, we'll see in the data, but shopping patterns have to change not only in terms of what people buy, but how they buy it. True. You got me. I'm being kind of a blue eyed optimist about a lot of things. I'm hoping that things go back to where they were before, but, but well, it might be better, right? I mean, it's just, I mean, we, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you something right now that you probably aren't aware of in China, right? There's, there's like this, um, pill fatigue, right? Because everyone had taken so many vitamins to try and like boost their immune systems, right? I mean, it's not like you're like, going to sleep at night, you're like, oh, I can't wait to take like a handful of vitamins. Nobody ever said that. And so, right, you know, some of the product categories that you, so yes, I guess maybe in some ways it's going back to where it was, but I, from what I understand is like, you know, there, there's different ways that consumers are, are taking care of their health, right? There's a renewed interest or, you know, kind of a continued growth in China in terms of like health and wellness. But a lot of it is around like, you know, kind of probiotics and, you know, there's, there's even a move towards veganism and like dairy free. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? Like in a very short period of time, right? And if you think about a part of the world where, you know, they're, they're, they're ahead of us, 
uh, as it relates to kind of um, the other side of the crisis. I just, I think a lot of it, a lot of the changes we've seen to date have been around consumption of like, you know, anything health and wellness and and food as opposed to, oh, and the other thing really interesting, John, I just got some data. Um, the other big change is that versus I think what we're seeing in the U.S. right now, but maybe it's early days here, right? So in the U.S., we're already starting to see in the month of March a pickup in like high heels and more formal dress in terms of what's selling. But in China, actually, we've continued to see this, this casualization. So, you know, may, maybe it's just kind of a, a matter of, you know, the, you know, how, how people are, how, how this impacted them one way or another. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so much that's coming out that, you know, it's definitely maybe more, more market specific than, than what we've seen historically. But I don't know if you were to kind of put your, your, your finger on, you know, the, the biggest area of change, wouldn't it be the fact that we've all worked from home pretty successfully? I mean, depending on what your, your career is for the past year, that, that has to impact, right, how, how consumers think about where they work, how they work, you know, how they spend their time. Do they go to conferences? Is, is it as important as it once was? I mean, how, how do you think the, the work, the longer-term impact on work? You know, I, I think that was a huge surprise how most people were able to pretty readily start working from home. And many Workers are just happier to be at home, saving their commute time. They're more comfortable. They're more casual. Um, yeah, I think that's a permanent change. We've discovered that not everyone has to be in the office all the time. So I think if you remember a year ago, you know, we were talking about people who were going to come back to the office and work shifts um, for social distancing. That That kind of got shoved to the side, but I think there's certainly a lot of benefits for people being in the same office together. So, you know, I think that that will happen to a certain extent, but I think, yeah, working at home is, is probably here to stay for a lot of people. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So John, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up there. I think we we've covered supply chain changes in consumption, AI driven retail and sustainability. And, and I think that there are, uh, I think we just started to kind of um, briefly uncover you know, what the other side of uh, this pandemic might look like. And, you know, let's uh, let's leave it there. Everyone, thanks so much for joining us for this uh, episode of Retailistic. Please like, subscribe uh, to your podcast channel of choice. John Harmon, thank you so much for joining us here today. As always, uh, never enough time. Thank you. Thanks. It's a pleasure. All right. That's our show for today. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your choice of platform. Thanks so much. And that's it for today.